In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we come in this evening hour of the day, we give you thanks and praise for the blessings that you've given to us, for the ways that you have shown us your love and your mercy, the grace that you have poured into our hearts, and for the many ways that you have uh, given yourself to us and your generosity, especially in those ways that are still hidden to our eyes, those incredible ways that you show us your love. We ask as we come to reflect tonight on these last things, that we might be able to be inspired by them, by reflection upon them, that rather than to run by fear, we might be able to run with awe and with joy, attracted to the goodness that you, that you have in store for your faithful. And so help us to reflect well upon these things, but even more so to live them well, that they might be able to be instruments of our grace, of our salvation, that you might indeed call us in that blessed last day and welcome us into the kingdom prepared for us from all eternity. We ask, Blessed Mother, that as you already uh, are in heaven enjoying the face of God, that we might, by the grace of your prayers, one day do the same alongside you. And so we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Very good. Again, thank you all for coming tonight. We're going to kind of run through these exciting things, things that most people uh, don't necessarily like to think about too much, at least at least a few of them that we'll see in a moment here. Um, the title of what we're coming to reflect upon is eschatology. In the seminary, if you might have you might have a class named eschatology or textbooks on that particular topic. Eschatology means uh, it comes from the Greek word eschaton, which basically means the, the farthest things. So that's how we get the the English translation of the last things. And so traditionally, as Catholics, we recognize that there are four last things. Uh, that there are death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Um, now, oftentimes we want to throw in purgatory in there, but we kind of couch that under heaven. Uh, so we'll kind of talk about that in a minute. But basically just to recognize that the four last things are death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Every single one of us will experience three of them. It just depends on which of the last two you determined. Uh, you hope you fall on the right side of the line when it comes down to it. So basically, I kind of want to give uh, a snapshot overview of um, the reality that, that happens at the end of one's life. Uh, and so <clears throat> the first thing that we'll talk about is death, uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of go on from there. So we're going to presume uh, that death is the starting point of our discussion here. So, and you'll quickly realize that I have terrible handwriting. This is why I don't usually write on boards. So, we've got death, which we experience. That will lead to, at the instance of death, at the moment one dies, there will be what's known as the particular judgment. The judgment of the individual soul. At that point, you will have three options. You'll go into one of... Three 
states of soul, essentially. You got heaven, you got hell, and you've got purgatory. Purgatory ultimately will reroute to heaven whenever the soul is ready, when it comes down to it, essentially. So then we've got these parts, and then all of this will be taking place, and then at some point we'll have the last day, when the Lord Jesus will come in His glory, as we'll hear this coming Sunday, we know not the day nor the hour, neither the angels nor the saints, nor those on earth, nor even the Son. Only the Father knows the day or the hour. And when the day, when that last day comes, we'll have the resurrection of the dead. We're just going to shorten that. Resurrection with an R. And then we'll have our general judgment. Sometimes known as the final judgment. And then after that, eternity. So, we have death, individual judgment of the soul. You go to one of the three spots, and then eventually, whenever it happens, on the last day, the Lord comes in his glory, and everything is done, general judgment, final judgment. So that's kind of the, the timeline of events, broadly speaking. Now we'll get into exactly what all that means now. Most of this is coming from the uh, indications of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's paragraphs 988 to 1060 is the section in which we hear about these last things. It, it couches it in the, in, the, in the section on the creed. So the, you know, the, the Catechism is split into sections on, is on the creed, on the sacraments, on the Our Father, the life of prayer, etc., so this is in the section of the creed where at the end we start to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the resurrection, of the, you know, etc. Resurrection of the body, life everlasting, etc., etc. So this is kind of in that, in that section where we start to sum up all of, our, all of our final beliefs. And so we're called to reflect upon them. Traditionally, the church encourages us in the month of November to do so. Um, the prayers of the Mass. Um, kind of start to have a, a more somber tone. I don't know if, you, if, you, if you're kind of catching on to that. Uh, it comes out in the, in the Sunday readings a bit. It comes out a bit in the weekday readings as well, uh, where we start to hear about a little bit more about the end, about death, judgment. The Lord will come in his glory. <laughs> you know, these, these things start to kind of pop up a little bit more prevalent in the reading of the sacred scripture. And that's because traditionally the month of November is the month where we pray for the souls in purgatory, right? So we have All Souls Day on November 2nd. The month of November, we pray for the souls in purgatory, which automatically orients us towards a thought about we're not here forever in this form, uh, that one day we will all taste death. Uh, but then also the fact that it comes at the end of the liturgical year. So November is the end of the year, the first Sunday of Advent, which sometimes is November, sometimes early December, depending on where Christmas falls, um, that begins the process of looking forward to the Messiah coming, his birth, and so on. Where we are right now is kind of wrapping up. If we're looking on timeline, liturgically speaking, we're at the end. 
And so that's why we're called to reflect, to, to pause, and to think about these things. And it, kinda, it, can, it can seem a little bit odd. It can seem um, kind of morbid. Um, but there's actually a, 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 healthy, a healthy reality of reflecting upon these things. Um, my mom hates me to talk about these things. Um, oftentimes, when I, was, um, when I was at the seminary and I'd be staying at home and I'd be going off to whatever, or even now, she'll still you know, say something. I'll be going off to travel and she'll say, you know, be safe. I hope, I hope your flight's good. I said, I hope it is too. And if not, don't worry. I went to confession a few days ago. She says, Brent, don't talk like that. Sorry, it's kind of the reality. Um, you know, and so, I mean, it's that, that mindfulness that I try to remind myself of and then try to remind other people, sometimes in a not subtle way, not so subtle way, that I'm not here forever. And that's an important thing for us to reflect upon um, because it hopefully should spur us on to make sure that we end up in the right spot on the end, <laughs> that we're not caught by surprise. And that's the important piece. That's why we reflect upon this, is so we can prepare and not just live life. And then on the last day, whether it's the last day of our life, the day that we die, or it's the last day when the Lord comes in his glory, because he can come any time now, that we're not caught off guard. Because uh, that would be the most tragic of things, uh, to not be prepared. Uh, and so... We pause to reflect upon these last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. I'll get into to some of the texts in a little bit. Uh, y'all know me. You know I like books. Uh, so we got some books up here that will uh, kind of get into some of the different topics that we can discuss. So if anybody has interest on kind of digging a little bit deeper in a certain area, uh, there's certainly some resources that are here. So starting just simply with death. Uh, Death is not something we like to face. We don't like to face it in those that we love. We don't like to face the thought of our own self. We don't like to see it in the newspaper. We don't like to hear about it anywhere else. Even if you don't know the person, there's still something that makes you just go, er, death, you know? There's a temptation that, that I myself feel in, in celebrating funeral rites and celebrating the prayers of the church because the prayers of the church oftentimes are very clear and they're very blunt and sometimes I feel this tension even within myself to kind of like to try to soften the blow a little (laughs) you know not not to say it so harshly not to say it so clearly and so just straightforward but that's the reality is that you know within us there's this certain hesitancy to be able to face death and it's certainly understandable. I mean, none of us knows what lies on the other side. You know, the, the veil, the veil is there. And, and you know, we, we read in sacred scripture, we know from the tradition of the church, the things that are there. And, and if we're living a good Catholic life, then we're, we're trusted the Lord will provide for us and, and lead us to himself. I mean, all these things are going to true, but there's still a, a, a certain level of uncertainty. You know, I mean, even if... Even if, you know, that it's not something so ominous, just uncertainty itself sometimes can make us uncomfortable. If I just, if I just announce, on Tuesday we're going to have a talk. Come to it. And people came, I'm sure there'd be a few people who'd be kind of like, I wonder what's going to be on. What's it, you know, 
I hope it's good. You know, like kind of uncertain, unsure about a talk. <laughs> you know, and death is much more than a talk. When we look at death itself, the, the, the definition of death, what the church understands about death and what typically the, the medical world understands about death are actually two different things. Um, so medically, generally speaking, death is when your heart stops and brain ceases to function and, you know, these kinds of things are the, the normal markers. Um, but there are individuals who medically have died. I'm sure we know a few of them, right? People who have had a heart attack or a stroke or some kind of major health you know, issue you know, that has happened to them <coughs> that their heart stopped, period. Medically speaking, you were dead for 47 seconds. You know, they'll use that terminology sometimes. As Christians, we don't understand it as such. We would understand death as the separation of the soul from the body, which is a different thing. The separation of the soul from the body doesn't necessarily happen when the heart stops. That's why we have individuals whose heart can stop. They can come back and they can talk about things that they've experienced. What we often call near-death experiences, right? They can talk about maybe visions of heaven or hell or purgatory or, you know, being outside and above themselves and kind of seeing the room from an exterior perspective from their own body. These are certain realities, and, and I, I, that's a whole different presentation uh, <laughs> on addressing those things specifically, because um, each of them really would need to be looked at you know, much, more, much more clearly and precisely. But the simple reality is we don't call them death experiences. We call them near-death experiences, because the soul didn't actually separate from the body. Medically, they may have been dead, but from the Christian perspective, once the soul separates from the body, it's final. Uh, it's permanent. Uh, and so <clears throat> every one of us dies once. There's no reincarnation. There's no coming back as somebody's, as, as Father Brent's cats that are spoiled at the rectory, Right. <laughs> There's no coming back as the, this, that, or the other thing that, that lives a pretty good life, right? When we die, we die. Period. Hard stop. That's it. We've run the race. We fought the fight. We rest. Hopefully in peace. And this is what happens at the moment of death. Death for us, in a certain sense, is not really natural. Like it's, it's natural kind of bodily. But it's not really a natural thing. It wasn't supposed to be that way. Remember from Adam and Eve in the garden, right? That because of their sin, death came into the world. Death is actually a consequence of evil, consequence of sin. It's not something the Lord actually desired. And so, every one of us continue to be haunted by this reality, this effect of evil in the world that causes our death. But thanks be to God and Jesus Christ, who by his death conquered death, 
and by raising, rising up from the dead has permitted us the same ability to be raised up even after our death. And this is a crazy thing that, that in Christ, death is utterly transformed. Because if, if death was just the end, if there's nothing more than death, death should be feared. It should be pushed away at, at, at all costs. It should be avoided any means necessary because it's just the end. There's no hope of anything beyond. And if that's the case, who would want to die? <laughs> but the reality is that in, in Christ, death is but a veil. It's a transition. As it's often described, it's, it's the doorway to eternal life. We can only get to heaven by way of death. It's the strange thing that St. Therese said to her mother when she was just a little bitty child. I think she was probably three or four at the time, maybe. She sat down in her mother, you know, outside in this beautiful garden. The world was good. Everything was wonderful. And she looked at her mother and said, Mother, I wish you would die. And her mother said, Excuse me? And she said, Well, that's the only way you can get to heaven. I want you to go to heaven. And it was this strange reality that, Why would a child say that? But it's because she understood the richness of what actually lie beyond. It's not that she wanted her to die just for the sake of dying. She wanted her to have eternal life. And this is where we place our trust in the Lord. This is where we, we come and as Christians, we recognize that death is sorrowful. That's why we wear black garments. That's why we wear black vestments at, at funerals traditionally. Everybody else will, will dress in, in black. You know, oftentimes they would have, you would wear black for a period of time, for you know, a duration of however many days to kind of show that you were mourning the loss of a loved one. It's normal for us to grieve. It's healthy for us to grieve. There's supposed to be sorrow. You know, we've got this tendency in our, in our world today where we come and we want to celebrate life in the moment of death, which uh, uh, I guess the, the idea is good, the intention is good to celebrate the person, and indeed we should. But there's a sense in which they're dead. <laughs> we need to recognize that. We need to recognize the seriousness of that. And really to pause and to face it. Because oftentimes if we just kind of paint a smile on our face, it's easy to kind of coast over the hard part. And then later on, you haven't actually grieved. You haven't permitted yourself to be sorrowful, to cry, to weep, to mourn, which are proper things for us, healthy things for us. And so it's proper that we mourn a death, that we grieve, but as St. Paul would say, don't grieve like those with no hope. Grieve, looking forward to the day where you'll see them again. Have sorrow in your heart because they're not with you now, but have hope because they will be again. This is what changes everything for us as Christians. The death is no longer an end. It's a transition. As the preface for the Eucharistic prayer at Mass says, For the faithful Lord, life is changed, not ended. It's changed. Things are different. And yet, we still remain. So that's the first thing that we experience in death. Death by itself, by its very nature, obviously is difficult for us because all of our life we've only known life when god created every one of us in our mother's womb 
We were created body and soul. We're the only ones that are like that. For, the, for those that were here for the angels talk or listen to it, the angels are pure spirit. The things around us are flesh, our bodies. Uh, but we are the ones who are hybrids of spirit and body. So we have both. So at, at death, the soul and the body are separated, which means there's a, a longing of the soul to have its body back. And there's a longing for the body to have its soul. Um, so it's, it's not like um, there, was, there were heresies in the early church that treated the body as if it was something bad, as if the body was just a prison, a prison that the soul had to break out of. And once it died, then it was finally free, you know. And the church in her wisdom said, no. We have a body, it's good, and at the resurrection of the dead, on the last day, we'll have a body again, and it will be good. In the meantime, our soul longs. It's incomplete. At the moment of death, the soul is judged by the Lord. Now, when we hear the word judgment, when we hear the word judge, usually it has a, a negative connotation. You know, we, you know you're kind of thinking... Uh, oftentimes people you know, would, would immediately conjure up in their head judgment as like the Lord is sitting there like, I've been watching you and I've got my list of all the things you've done. You did this and this and this and this and this. Condemned, you know. And then, like there, there's this idea that the Lord is, is just like itching <laughs> to judge us in a negative sense. But the fact is for the faithful, the Lord is itching to judge us in a positive sense. Because if we're not judged... We can't go to heaven. So judgment is not something to be feared if you're ready for judgment. The judgment that comes to us, as we said here, is one of three things. Heaven, which is for those who have no sin whatsoever on their soul. Not a drop. Not a spudge. Not a mark. All of, their, all of the, the sufferings that are due to them on account of their sin, the, the things they need to repay the Lord, the things they need to detach from in this life, all of that stuff is gone. Now that can happen, oftentimes we indicate that, that martyrs, that the martyrs who shed their blood for Christ have basically done so. That the shedding of their blood for Christ, uh, that, that offering one's life for Christ is basically get into heaven free because you've shown that you have no other attachments. Nothing else is more important to you than Christ. That by your sufferings, you've made up for what needed to be paid in this life. And presumably, by living a holy life and, and dying at the moment of uh, dying a martyr's death, that the, the blood you shed would be much like the blood of Christ that pours out to wash, away, to wash away our sins. So the martyrs typically are understood as going directly into heaven. Others who can go directly into heaven are those who um, have lived a life of, of you know, heroic, heroic holiness, heroic virtue. Uh, the saints, essentially, those who are canonized that, that you read about in the book and you go, man, that's incredible. People like that very well could probably just go directly up. Also those who receive the apostolic pardon, uh, which is uh, available to those uh, at the hour of death, can be given by the priest. 
um, and is basically an indulgence, uh, a plenary indulgence for the faithful, um, that they can receive complete remission of all punishment due to sin and the remission of their sentence. So basically, everything you would have had to do in purgatory is gone. So effectively, if that's given and the soul is able to receive it, and the soul is able to be detached from everything, is already in that state, and freed from, freed from, you know, from any other sins, when that prayer is given, if the soul is able to receive it at the moment of death, they would immediately go into heaven as well. So that's one of the reasons that, that oftentimes pe- the people will come and, and say, well, the, don't worry, Father, they, they already anointed her. They already anointed him. He got the anointing of the sick. Fine and good. The anointing of the sick is one thing. The anointing of the sick prays that they get better. At the hour of one's death, when one is drawing near, we can give the anointing of the sick again in hopes that the Lord may work a miracle because things happen. But also, and oftentimes, if the soul is near death and the priest is aware of this reality, he can give the apostolic pardon, which is above and beyond. If I can get anointed, fine and good. If the priest can come and absolve me of my, fin- of my sins, okay. But if the priest can absolve me from my sin and get me out of purgatory, I'll take that option. Mm-hmm. Right? I think most of us would take that option, yes. given, the, given, the, given that the option was on the table, every, us, well, every one of us would choose that one. So, that's the reality. So, those, those are the souls that would go directly into heaven. For a soul uh, to go directly to hell is basically to be in a state of mortal sin. Uh, this is still church teaching. Sometimes people think that mortal sin doesn't happen. Sometimes stupid priests um, will tell people that mortal sin is not even possible to do. And so, you know, we'll hear occasionally, oh, mortal sin, it, it's so hard to commit a mortal sin. People just can't even do it. Those priests are fools. They're digging their own grave and it's not going in the right direction. And they'll have to answer at their own judgment as they stand before the Lord because they're leading many astray. The church has always and continues to teach that if we die and manifest mortal sin, our soul goes to hell, period. Now we have to recognize what that means, right? We understand that mortal sin is grave matter, full consent of the will, and intentionally chosen. Now, we can look at individuals who don't have full understanding, people who don't know that that's a sin, who don't know that's a, a mortal sin, you know, if they did it under duress, you know, if they, if they did it because it's, you know, it's, it's something um, that, that's kind of been a, a, an affliction upon them that's been manifest um, you know, in various other ways. So that we can look at, at, yeah, there are ways that the mortal sin may be mitigated or maybe in a particular soul be only venial sin. But the simple fact is that mortal sin is that one has chosen to do contrary to the will of Christ, contrary to the will of the Father, in grave matter, and they knew it. And if one dies in that state, one goes to hell. Not because the Lord doesn't like you and you're not worthy and he's sending, he's sending you there. It's because the Lord confirms what one's soul has already said. Namely, I don't want to be in union with you. Therefore, wish granted for eternity. So, God doesn't send people the Lord confirms what they themselves have already determined, which is a, an important thing to recognize and to remember. And a lot of times people don't think that they would, you know, why, why, well, no one would choose that. Well, yeah, 
no one would choose it outright, <laughs> but step by step by step by step, the Lord, or rather the evil one, pulls us little bit, little bit, little bit away from the Lord until it's too late, <laughs> you know. And that's the that's the thing is is you know, as they right the the frog with the the hot water analogy. You throw a frog in, in boiling water, it's going to jump out. You throw a frog in and you heat it up the water, it's just going to stay and cook, right? And so that's the same reality as, as us in our sin. If we recognize everything's good and I jump into hell, well, ho, hot water. I don't want that. But little sin, little something here, a little bit there, and as our life will gradually kind of devolve, that's where we would find ourselves in hot water. Uh, it was originally cold, and then we're finally cooked. So, hell is a reality that we'll talk about in a moment. And so we have that as the as the next option, and then we have, of course, purgatory, where presumably a large number of us um, will be able to uh, to go and to to work out uh, our final our final trek to the Lord. Purgatory is a place of suffering, but also of joy, because those who are in purgatory are short of heaven, but it just takes a little while to get there. And so we'll talk a, a little bit more detail about those in just a moment. So at the moment of judgment, at the death, at the death of the individual, heaven, hell, purgatory. The reality of hell is... Uh, Again, it's kind of a harsh thing for us to consider in this world. Again, there, um, there are Christians who, with good intention but erroneous understanding, um, question whether God could actually permit hell to really exist. You know, how can a good God permit that? You know, or they, they come with the presupposition that, 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 that yeah, they'll go to, maybe they'll go to hell for a while, but then eventually God will take them back out. Um, you know, or are uh, these these kinds of thoughts, um, and these are all basically lies of the evil one, because what what the evil one does, as he always does, is he takes a kernel of truth, and then he twists it just a little bit. You know, he doesn't. Uh, again, if he throws you in hot water right off the bat, we're going to jump out. But if he takes you on the road and then little by little pulls you away. We can follow. And we don't really realize that we're following the wrong path. And this is what the evil one does. The, you know, he, he can take an idea. God is all good. God is all loving. God is all merciful. This is true. I don't think any of us doubt that. None of us doubt the mercy of God is infinite. None of us doubt the love of the Lord is infinite. But love can't force itself upon us. Mercy can't force itself upon us right these are things that have to be received but that erroneous view neglects that reality and it forces the love of God upon the soul it forces the mercy of God upon the soul which can't happen it starts with a good idea it starts with truth and then slowly pulls away to where honestly if you go to hell and you go only for a short time and then you get to go to heaven anyway? Why try? <laughs> just 
go hog, you know, hog wild and sin, do whatever you want. How's the, you know, live, live whatever life you want to. Who cares about church? Who cares about God? Who cares about faith? Who cares about love? Who cares about mercy? Just do what you want. And in the end, yeah, you go to hell for a little while. But, you know, it, it's going to be bad. But, but don't worry. You'll get heaven after that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's an easy thing, you know. Only the people who don't want to have any hell at all are going to be the ones who are following, right? You know, the people who are, you know, if we're all guaranteed, it makes it easy to just not care, to not be worried or concerned or show up. In hell, the reality is that um, that our pain is um, is continuous, and it happens in, in various ways. One is the primary pain of hell. Oftentimes there are just given distinctions. There are two, two types of pain in hell. The primary pain in hell is separation from God. But at the moment of judgment, you saw Jesus. You knew him. And the human heart, the human soul, everything within us was created for God. As St. Augustine would say, we were created for yourself, Lord, and we are restless until our hearts rest in you. So until we rest in God eternally in heaven, truly, we won't have true and lasting peace. We can have a taste of it here now to the extent that we rest in the Lord and we abide by his commandments, abide by his will, that we seek to follow him in the course of our days. But in hell, there's eternal separation. So it's eternal restlessness, an eternal longing for goodness. Because in hell, you are no longer loved. You're not liked. You're not appreciated. There's no pleasure. There's no pause. There's no rest. There's no sleep. There's no escape. It's just continuous. And so it's this perpetual, ongoing longing for God that you know you can never have. And that last part's the worst part. <laughs> because to long for God... And to know that one day I'll have him is, is, is hard. But to know that that longing will be there forever, that's the worst part. That there will never be a satisfaction. There will never be a fulfillment again. The second pain that one experiences in hell is what corresponds to one's sins. And here we can go to you know, classic works like Dante's Inferno and see how the, you know, the different levels of hell, the people who's whose sins uh, in this life were the ones that condemned them, they had corresponding sufferings. So the ones, uh, I can't remember all of them, but one of them that, that always struck me was that the, those, uh, those who were prideful, those who boasted of themselves, they carried rocks. <laughs> they made them bow down and be humbled. You know? And so it's uh, you know, that, that, that what you failed to be able to do in heaven or, or on earth, in this life they're going to try to teach you how but you'll never be able to do it because you won't have the grace of God so you'll be perpetually humbled but you won't be humble and so each of those corresponding to the various sins that one uh, partakes in in the course of one's life heaven is the one we actually want to talk about Heaven is, of course, known by, by many names, by many descriptions. All throughout the scriptures, we hear of it as, 
you know, described as a, as a wedding feast, as as a banquet, as you know, all these these phenomenal joyful occasions where there's where there's community, where there's family, where there's joy, where there's peace, where there's just this exultant you know atmosphere. Heaven is associated with all of those things, and rightly so. And yet the reality is, as good as all of those things are, it's absolutely nothing in comparison to what heaven will actually be for us. And that should be something that would encourage us to, you know. I mean, think of the, the, the happiest moments of your life. If you thought about just maybe just trying to put them together, the five happiest moments of your entire life. And if you have six kids, I'm sorry, you've got to miss one of them, right? (laughs) To think of those moments where it was just this profound joy, profound peace, profound happiness, that that, that, that you're like, I wish this moment could last forever. If you're able to take all five of those moments and smash them together, it would still be nothing in comparison to the joy that we'll experience forever in heaven. Every moment that we have happiness here and now in this life, the Lord is saying, ah, I've got something much better waiting for you. Even in the brightest of moments, there's something greater awaiting. And this is where we continue to, to, to allow our hearts to be lifted up to the Lord. And this is why, again, death is not something that we should be avoiding we shouldn't be running to it necessarily, but we should embrace it when the Lord gives it to us. Embrace the will of the Lord because if we are faithful, heaven will be the greatest thing that God has ever given to us. So I have some the you know, these these songs that sing about heaven, right? The the I can only imagine song that everybody loves, right? It's because it makes you think about what will it be like? I remember there was one time I, when I was, I was a deacon, I was helping with a, a youth group trip, and it was an interdenominational. So um, it was Catholic kids and, and kids of various other you know, Protestant denominations all came together for service project. And one night, one of the, one of the youth ministers was leading a reflection and you know, it was you know, kind of a, a little group of us or whatever, you know, in this in this time of prayer. And he just he he talked about going to heaven. Like imagine that your eyes close to this world, and you open your eyes and you see the Lord, and you see his face, and you see his joy, and you hear his words of welcome. What do you say? What would you ask him? And I was <laughs> I, I mean, I sat there, everybody had, everybody had, you know, not everybody, uh, some people had questions. I, I, I would love to know about such and such, or I'd love to know this, or I'd love to know that, you know, kind of like the desire to know things is part of what we want in this world. We want to be able to understand why, you know, it's all the big why questions that we have. Lord, why? And in, in, in my heart, I was, I was just thinking like, man, I got in. <laughs> I don't have any questions, Jesus. <laughs> I got nothing. I'm in. Like, we got time for this. We'll talk later. I'm in. <laughs> you know, and it, it was just like in that moment, like there was this, this, this great joy of my heart. Like, man, how awesome would that be to know I'm in. 
the race is over. There's no more sorrow. There's no more tears. There's no more longing. It's God and his church forever. Wow. That's what we long for. That's what's written in our hearts. And that's the thing is that, that sometimes we can, um, we settle for lesser visions of heaven. You know, man, heaven would be like a big old huge bowl of cookies and cream ice cream. Uh, I mean, you eat one bowl of cookies and cream ice cream and it's good. You eat a second one and you're like, oh, I don't feel so good, you know? So if that's what heaven's like, I don't know. That's... Kind of falling short on that one, you know? And like we, we often substitute the, the thing that we like the most, <laughs> the thing that brings us joy. Heaven will be the biggest mall in the world. It'll be the biggest shop in the world. It'll be the, 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 the best of this, that, and the other thing in the world. And it's a whole lot more. <laughs> right? That's the, the, I, love, I love this scripture. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Hasn't even, hadn't even come into our minds. We can't even fathom it. And that's what God has in store for us. In heaven, there will be perfect fulfillment. Every one of us, provided we all get to heaven. That's my hope. That's what I pray for. It's kind of my job as, a priest, as your pastor. Uh, yeah. So um, everyone in heaven will be perfectly full. We'll have absolute fulfillment. But there is a little-known fact that is actually the teaching of the church that heaven, there are degrees of heaven. Um, the simple fact is, Blessed Mother's vision and experience of heaven and her vision of God is going to be far beyond mine, and rightly so. She is the sinless, ever-virgin ever, ever mother of God, I'm a sinner, period. I'm kind of good at it, too, but that's a different story. Me too, you have confession? Yeah, <laughs> always. <laughs> always have confession. Right. So blessed mother's experience of God will be different than mine. And what we understand is we describe it as, um, as the, the Latin phrase, capax dei, a capacity for God. So every one of us, uh, imagine as if you, you got a bag, right? You've got a, a, a school bag. You've got your books and stuff in there, and everything's, everything's good. <coughs> if the Lord came to you and said, I want to give you a gift, naturally we would pull out the stuff in our bag so as to make room for the gift. That's our kapox day, our capacity for God, right? St. Augustine would describe it as trying to make more room in the bag, so he said, he said, increasing your capacity for God, increasing your, your, your degree by which you can receive the grace of God, receive the, the, the understanding, the vision, the knowledge, participation in the life of God in heaven, is like taking your bag and pushing on the sides, stretching the top, stretching the bottom to like, I, I want a little bit more. You know, the, the Lord can fill me up and that'll be fine. I'll be full. But if I can get a little bit more into this bag, all the better. And that's what, that's what the description that St. Augustine gives of the life of the soul is, is the lowest person in heaven, 
the lowest degree will be in heaven. <laughs> they made it. They're done. If they have like a, a thimble size of knowledge, understanding, and experience of God, their thimble will be full. Blessed Mother will be at the right hand of the Son, and her room is bigger than this one, full to the brim of water. <laughs> and she will be full. She made it. In both realities, there's a fullness. There's nothing more that can be, that can be squeezed in to that soul of the ability to receive from the Lord. It's not like they'll look at Blessed Mother and be like, oh, I want what she's got. You know? That won't happen. In heaven, you know, on earth, I can talk about that. And on earth, I can, I can talk about the reality of, man, if I was on, you know, the, this level and I could look up and, and see the Blessed Mother in the next degree, man, wouldn't that be wonderful to, to get closer there? You know, I could talk about that here. But in heaven, it won't matter anymore. Again, we'll have fulfillment. So it's not as if we'll be lacking. We won't be upset that we're only like a, a level three saint. Uh, but the reality is, the deeper we enter into the life of Christ here and now, the deeper we enter into the mystery of the Blessed Trinity, the more we give ourselves over to the life of Christ here in this time, the more our hearts will be changed and transformed and stretched, that our bag, that is our soul, will be able to receive more from Christ. That whenever the Lord welcomes us into eternal life, what we'll be able to, to see of God, to know of God, to understand of God, to participate in God, will be that much more. I forget which saint it was. I always blame things on St. Faustina when it comes to this. So it might have been St. Faustina, maybe another, another saint entirely. And if y'all want to go back and, and, and Google and let me know, by all means... Uh, she said something to the effect of recognizing the, the, the states of soul, the degrees, and that, that would be willing to endure any suffering whatsoever, knowing, knowing the, the extra joy of being another degree closer to the Lord, closer to the Father and to the Spirit in heaven, would be willing to undergo any suffering necessary to be one degree closer. So that's the, that, you know, that, that's the mindset of the saints. I will suffer whatever you want in this life if I can be just a little bit closer in heaven because I know that I'll be able to receive that much more of you. It's a beautiful thing, a beautiful, a beautiful reality and sentiment. So that's what heaven is. And the beautiful thing is it lasts for all eternity. Now all of this, as we're talking, we're talking that the last day has not happened yet. So, at the moment of death, the soul and the body are separated. And the soul will go to heaven, to hell, or to purgatory. The body will go to the earth. And it will remain that way until the last day. Jesus has a body in heaven, and so does Mary. Everybody else, still waiting. They are souls. They're not bodies in heaven yet. They are souls. And as such, they're still incomplete. They're not, they're not unfulfilled, but they are incomplete. 
And this is a reality that the last day brings to us, is completion. On the last day, whenever it comes, we know not the day or the hour, the Father will give the sign. The Lord will come in his glory, and all things will cease. The race is done, the whistle's blown, stop. And at that moment, the dead will rise in Christ, and then they will be judged, not just in their soul, but in their soul and their body, both. And this is what we understand as the general judgment or the final judgment. There's no changing at that point. It's not as if a soul who is condemned, as, as we said, it's not as if a soul who is condemned at the moment of their death, at the final judgment, can, the Lord can relent and, and rejudge them. <laughs> he can revise his, his, uh, his judgment upon them and bring them into heaven. In the same way, it's not as if a, a, a saint who was up in heaven somehow was naughty and was, uh, was uh, kicked out of heaven at the final judgment and now goes to hell. That's not, there's no swapping, there's no changing. What the final judgment is, the second judgment, is it confirms and perfects the initial judgment of the soul. So at the moment of death, the soul is judged. The soul of Brentmere will be judged. At the last day, the soul and body of Brentmere, the full person, not just part of me, all of me, will be judged one way or the other heaven or hell on the last day there's no purgatory that's one of the interesting things the church has, the church has taught that on the last day we'll all, be the, all the dead will be raised in Christ and the final judgment will come for them but also the final judgment will also be the particular judgment for all those who are not dead at the moment when the, when the, when the horn sounds when the trumpet blows and at that point, purgatory will no longer be an option on the table. You'll go one way or the other, heaven or hell. So, that's the reality that we, that we understand, that on the last day, again, everyone will be raised up, and everyone will have a body. Your body will be in hell, or your body will be in heaven, but every one of us will have a body. That's where people start to ask lots of questions oftentimes. <laughs> what does my body look like? Do I have the right amount of hair that I desire? Is it the right color? You know, yeah, what's my waistline look like? You know, these kinds of things, you know. We, we get kind of concerned about what our physique looks like. Um, but in the end, I mean, it, it won't matter because we'll be in heaven. We'll be happy. Like, you know, if I'm the big old job of the hut in heaven... So be it. I made it. I'll take whatever physique I get, you know. But there is a reality that our resurrected body will be different than our earthly body here and now. And there are, that we don't know all the details, we don't know what we'll look like, if we'll be a, a certain age, if we'll be a median age of our entire life lived. If you live, you know, 84 years, you know, you'll be, you'll be 42 or something, we don't, you know, or, or you'll be a a mishmash of something, who knows. But what we do know is there are several um, attributes that will be given to the body 
because we understand him from the body that has been resurrected in Christ. So these are things that, that Christ has a resurrected body, and therefore, if his body was human like ours in all things, our body, when resurrected, when resurrected, will be like his, strangely enough. The four things that we'll have about our resurrected body is they will be, um, there will be impassibility, namely that we won't be able to suffer and we will no longer be able to die. Um, so if after the resurrection of the Lord, somebody had tried to take him and kill him again, it wouldn't have worked. It would just, it just couldn't because he's been raised up. His body can't experience that anymore. And the same will be with us. That's why in heaven there will be no suffering, you know, in that regard. In hell there will be definitely suffering, but it will not be in the same way. For us, we'll have resurrected bodies. For the faithful in Christ, the dead, will experience something much, much different. There will be agility. There will be no heaviness or sluggishness, which I look forward to greatly. (laughs) Basically, this indicates that kind of comparable to the angels, the body goes where the soul pleases. This is where we see the, the story of the Lord at Emmaus. When he walks with the disciples along the way, he gets there, he acts like he's going on. They say, no, no, come stay with us. He comes in, they, they share food together, and at the breaking of the bread, he disappears. Gone. It doesn't say he got up and, and snuck out the door. It doesn't say that he, that he, that he moved, that he floated up, that he, that he did anything. He was just gone. And that's where we get this agility. That where the soul desires to be, the body will be able to go. So it's comparable to the angels who have no body, and wherever they will to be, they are. In a similar way, we will be, but we will have a body as well. You get into one of the questions, well, what if two people want to be in the same place at the same time? Super cool response. We will also have subtility, which means that we'll be able to pass through other material objects. So like the Lord who walked through the door, whenever the disciples were in the upper room, you and I, God willing, we are raised up in glory and ascended to heaven. We will be able to walk through walls, through doors. We'll be able to do whatever we want, walking around, all these kinds of things. It will be absolutely wonderful. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a super fun time. Probably part of the joy of heaven is just walking through walls and be like, did you see that? You know? So at least for the first thousand years or so, that'll be what's happening with me. You'll be, be like, Father Brent, you know, he's just going crazy over there. Subtility. Yeah. S-U-B-T-I-L-I-T-Y. The last one is Clarity. So the resurrected body will also experience clarity, namely that just like the Lord who revealed his glory on the the Mount of Transfiguration at Tabor, who was radiating light, so also in some mysterious way, because we will be like Christ, because we will be filled with the light perfectly, we also will radiate light. And that's when the, the scriptures also speak of uh, we, will know, we will need no light from lamps or the sun. The Lord God will be our light. And because he is the light and we participate in him, we will radiate. We won't need the sun because we will be the light.
participating in Christ, who is the light itself. That's rather remarkable. I, I, that was one of the things that was just like, huh, that's crazy. And yet, that's the reality. So, that's what we have to look forward to. If we play our cards right, we can walk through walls, we will radiate like the sun, we will have knowledge of all things, and we'll be with God and with each other forever in heaven. Bless you. That's what we're working for. That's where we're setting our sights. Again, we mentioned, uh, I mentioned kind of at the, you know, that, that story of the, the, youth, the youth gathering, what would you ask Jesus? Again, most of us, I'd be willing to bet all of us, have questions about why. As we go through the course of our life, why did this happen? Why did it happen then? Why did it happen in this way? Why did this family experience that and this family experience that? Why this, that, and the other thing? We have tons and tons of why questions about our own lived experience, our lived experience of those around us, but also uh, you know, just the, so many questions about the Lord and about the Blessed Mother and about the apostles and the saints and you know, so many things that, that we're, we're just wanting to know, to understand. And the good thing is that on the last day, everything will be done. Again, the whistle is blown, the game is over. And then, once everything is, is, is decided, once, once heaven and hell you know, are given their fill, <coughs> that's when the Lord will reveal to us the understanding of His providence. So, in heaven, we'll have those answers of why. Because the Lord will show us how our actions through the course of our life, have affected the history of the world, what part we've played in the story of salvation, good, bad, and otherwise. He also will show us what his providence, what his grace was doing at all these various moments so we can understand the mind of God, the plan of God, the will of God, and all of this such that we who sometimes look at difficult situations, who look at the cross and struggle to make sense of it, struggle to understand it, because, again, because Adam and Eve ultimately the darkening intellect was one of the consequences of the fall. We can't understand things as God desires us to understand them. And we can't understand them as we would have understood in the beginning. Excuse me. So that's why we have these why questions that continue to come up to us. But in the end, the Lord will reveal the answers. And so it will be this, this profound adoration of the Lord because we'll be able to see what we tried to profess as best as we could in faith, that, that the Lord is with us, that, that despite all contrary <coughs> feeling otherwise, bless you, bless you, bless you. that the Lord, the Lord hasn't abandoned us, that his, his hands are still in this. He's still working with this. You know? And, and that, that's hard for us to understand. How can God permit these things to happen whenever tragedies happen? We have huge loss of life, when we have world wars, when we have you know, school shootings, these kinds of things. How can God allow these things to happen? And in, in heaven we will understand, ah, that's how. And all things will be made clear. So many of the mysteries that plague us in this world will finally have some of the answers too.
That said, there will be also things that we still won't understand. I mean, as much as we have eternity, we still won't be able to understand fully the Blessed Trinity because he's just utter mystery. We can understand a lot. We can understand relatively, I guess, 99.99999%. But there is always going to be that little something more that God keeps just for himself, just in his own heart. Um, and there's a beauty to that too because it will continue to increase our longing, the desire to know about the Lord, to love the Lord, to adore the Lord, who in his, his, his wisdom and his majesty and his providence um, do such incredible things. So one thing that's often kind of talked about um, and presumed in non-Catholic circles is the question of where does the rapture fit in in this? Um, and the short answer, it, it doesn't. Um, you know, the, the rapture is a, a, a common thing talked about in many circles. Uh, I remember hearing a, a friend of mine when we were in high school where people were talking about, are you pre-trib or post-trib or mid-trib? And I was like, what? what? What does that even mean? And it was the tribulation, the time of suffering. Do you think that the, 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 the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation, pre-trib, mid-trib, in the middle of the tribulation, the trials, or post-trib, after everything is suffered? When are we going to be raptured? And I was like, eh, rapture? What? No. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and basically, the, the, the rapture is a, a theology that, that developed out of, out of the Puritan, um, you know, Puritan uh, religious belief system um, in the mid-1700s and kind of continued to evolve and grow in popularity in its belief. And such, we have the Left Behind series and these things now or you get those little you know, catchy bumper stickers that... If my car swerves, you know, it's because my mother-in-law took the wheel. Uh, you know, there's little things where it's, you know, less desirous, um, you know, persons that we leave behind, right? Uh, but none of that is actually, um, is actually entirely scriptural. Uh, they get the, the rapture. Uh, it's something we actually read oftentimes in the, prayers, um, in the prayers of the church, the prayers of the funeral rites, where, you know, we who are left will be called up to heaven where we greet the Lord in the clouds. Uh, so that's where, it's, that's where the wording comes from. That's, um, the, the, the Latin word there is, is actually rapture. Uh, so that's where they get rapture, is they, they're being called up to the Lord. And oftentimes the understanding is they're being called up because they're the chosen ones. Um, and that, you know, that, that everything's kind of different, but um, we can look at different, different scriptural contexts and see that kind of in each of the different ones that they're talking about, it doesn't necessarily line up. Um, in, some, in some places it indicates that those who are left behind are actually the ones who are supposed to be there the ones that are taken are not the ones that are taken are the bad ones the ones that are left behind are the good ones uh, and some, some of the scripture passages that the Lord gives about the final the final days um, right there's like you know I forget the passage there's two men in the field one is taken one is left you know there's two people two women working at such and such one is taken one is left that's where they're, that's where they're kind of getting some of these things but, but they're missing the reality is that that they'll be taken but they'll be condemned and those that are left remain with the Lord and we'll have bodies and then we'll have new heaven new earth it's not like we're going to float up into heaven and then just kind of 
have a cloud party forever, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that the Lord comes to us and yeah, okay, we may meet the Lord in the, crowd, in the clouds, but it's so that he can bring us to the new heaven, to new earth here, uh, recreate all things. All that is a much bigger topic, a much different topic than what we're kind of getting at here, but at least I wanted That's to address. To walk through walls. Yeah, yeah. Well, it depends on depends on uh, whether you're pre-trib or post-trib. So, um, <laughs> depends on when you think the rapture might happen and such. Um, but yeah, so it that is a, a very a very complex discussion. Uh, but in short, the rapture is not something that we as Catholics believe. Um, there's no being shot up into heaven like rockets or any of these kinds of things. We expect that whenever the Lord comes in his glory, if we're here, it's going to get serious real quick. And we'll have to we'll go one way or the other, and that'll be that. Um, what happens after that is the Lord's guess, because we can't imagine it yet. So, all of this is simply to encourage us in one main point, and that's where we started is we don't come and reflect on death just to reflect on death. We don't reflect on judgment just to do so, or heaven or hell, just because it's fun to think about it. We do it because one day we're going to taste it. One day every one of us, presuming the Lord doesn't come in his glory before our life ends, every one of us will die, every one of us will stand before the judge, and every one of us will go to one of those three places, heaven, hell, or purgatory. And in light of that, we need to be prepared. So the reflection upon the last things is not just an academic thing. It's something to encourage us to make sure that our lives are ready, that we are prepared. That each and every day, if the Lord came in his glory, or if I breathe my last and my soul departs from my body, either way, I'm ready. That's what, the, that's what that all of this kind of invites us to. And so, there are a few things that I would like to, a few resources to give to you. One of them I just got in the mail today, and I was super excited to get it. It looks a little morbid, which is part of the reason I bought it, <laughs> honestly. Um, it's called the Memento Mori Journal. Uh, it's literally, it's a journal. Uh, this is from uh, a religious sister, the Daughters of St. Paul. Um, the sister, what she did is there was an ancient practice of having a skull on your desk where you would write or where you would read or pray to remind you, I'm going to die one day. It was a common thing. Uh, so it was, it was kind of a regular practice in many places to have an image of a skull or a carving of a skull or something to that effect on one's desk. And so this sister decided she wanted to do that and to see how her life changed. And she has some, some fascinating kind of reading on the internet talking about her experience of that. And the reality is that the, the skull is, is often referred to as a memento mori, which is basically a, a reminder of death. So memento means remember, mori means death. So memento mori means... Hmm? Uh, Sister Teresa, yeah, Teresa, T-H-E-R-E-S-A, I'm not sure I'll pronounce her the middle name, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A, 
Noble, N-O-B-L-E, F-S-P. And it's a little book where after experiencing this, this continuous reflection upon her death with the skull in front of her, she realized just how fruitful that was in her spiritual life about helping her to keep on the straight and narrow. Because if you're thinking about doing something bad, and you remember one day you're going to die and have to pay for it, maybe I'm not going to do that after all. <laughs> right? To be charitable to the person across from you at the table, you know, when, when, they're, when they're doing whatever little thing that bothers you, and you think, one day I'll be judged based off of how I love or don't love this person. Good to know. And we show charity, right? So these practical things. So that's what she had in mind with this. And so essentially it's just a little, it's got a little introduction in there. But on every page through it, at the top, she's got reflections um, and quotes from the saints, from scripture, and from various, uh, various anonymous authors uh, on death on every single page. So that's why it's called the Memento Mori Journal. Uh, and so, she's got, just on this page, which I happen to flip to, a good death depends upon a good life. St. Robert Bellarmine. You can flip to another one. Uh, Keep death before you, but have no fear. Jesus has won your salvation. It's anonymous. God has visited his creature, which he formed after his own image and likeness. And this he has done, so that we might not be forever the sport of death. St. Alexander of Alexandria. And so it's just got a, a whole variety of these wonderful reflections and meditations that even if we don't keep a skull in our desk, much to the confusion of our families, <laughs> we can have something like this where when we write in it, we can get a little clip, a little, a little reminder, one day I will die and I need to live as such. So this is a brand new, it just came out on All Souls Day. So remember your death, Memento Mori Journal. Good stuff. If you like to journal... And also, if you buy the pack, it comes with stickers of skulls. So, I was super excited. I'm pretty sure people are going to think I just got real dark, but it's actually a holy, a holy thing. Um, the first quote that we read was from St. Robert Bellarmine, which is appropriate because I have his book here, which my mom did not like the idea that I had this book because it is titled The Art of Dying Well. At which point she was like, Brent, really? The art of dying well? And in parentheses, he has, or how to be a saint now and forever. That's a little bit more stomachable title other than the art of dying well. But basically this book is, the, is, is kind of a reminder of living, living each day and, and preparing, being fervent about our faith, being repentant for our sin, being charitable um, as we go through the course of our days. So St. Robert Bellarmine, the art of dying well. Or how to be a saint now and forever. There's a wonderful book also by St. Alphonsus Liguri uh, called, appropriately, Preparation for Death. Uh, so if you, like, if you like something that gives you some meditations to think about, like imagine this is the happening type of thing. Uh, St. Alphonsus has some of those type of scenarios. Uh, it's less exciting in some ways because he's like, let's imagine you're going to hell. Let's sit in that for a while. And he gives you a meditation. So at the end of that, you're like, man, I don't want that to happen. And then you're compelled to go in the opposite direction, right? And so St. Alphonsus Liguri, uh, Preparation for Death, another great resource there. Because I like books, I'm going to give you a book about how to get to heaven. 
how to read your way to heaven. <laughs> huh? Right? So this is a wonderful book. Um, Vicki Burbach is the, uh, is the editor and, and author of the book. Basically, it gives you a structure of reading material, content, and schedules to be able to read your way to heaven, to read your way to holiness. So she goes into reading the scriptures, reading the catechism, reading, I think she's got like a five or six year plan of spiritual reading um, that you can read pieces and parts of some of the classic works of the church. Um, and cool, in the back it's got checklists. Wow. So you can, so you can go through your, uh, you know, so this is year two, week 16. It tells you on that day, you know, you may want to read Second Kings, these chapters from the catechism. Um, you know, and it's got a, a couple of other, a couple of other books that is keeping you. You know, read this chapter of this book. You know that that it's kind of working you through the through the plan. So um, there are a, a ton of great classic works from various saints and authors of the church through history, and this is a a good clear way of being able to kind of work through them. So, Burbach, B U R B A C H. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So we've got those that are kind of general, general like preparation, spiritual life type things. If you want to get more specifically into the four last things themselves, there are a few good, a few good works that I would suggest from you. Uh, I always lament that he doesn't have a nicer picture. Uh, Father Garrigou Lagrange, Father Reginald Garrigou Lagrange, is a Dominican priest um, who has passed on to his eternal reward. Um, but he has um, uh, a number of writings on all kinds of various topics, a phenomenal scholar. Uh, and this is a work on life everlasting theological treatise on death, judgment, heaven, and hell. So if you, if you kind of like to get into the nitty-gritty of like the little details of, of how, what do you know, how much do you know, how can you know, in heaven or hell, what is suffering really like, this, that, and the other thing. Some of those really you know, kind of precise, nuanced questions that sometimes we get into. Um, Life Everlasting is a really, really solid book um, that, that's good based on St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, just one of, the, one, of the, one of the standards that we kind of use in the church. Another one is uh, The Four Last Things by Father Martin Van Kalkum. V-O-N-C-O-C-H-E-M is his name. It's a little handy-dandy book that you can easily fit in your pocket. I was at the LSU game a couple of weeks ago reading this casually between plays. And uh, at the the top of the page, it's got little things that are like on death, you know, or on the judgment, you know. Uh, And as I was sitting there reading, uh, the guy next to me, I could tell he was looking over my shoulder and uh, at one point he was like, excuse me, what are, you, what are you reading? And I showed him the title, which is pretty clear, <laughs> Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell. And he was like, oh, okay. And I said, just a little light reading, huh? And he was like, yeah, clearly. Man. So, yeah, so. Uh, it was. That's why I was. It, it kept me charitable. It kept me charitable in, in my thoughts and in my words. <laughs> One day we will all die. All right, Brent, remember that. Don't wish, don't wish evil upon anyone. Okay, 
Wish good things, holy things. All right. So, so this one, admittedly, um, th- this one emphasizes the heavier part of things. So, um, in, in our world today, we we hear a lot about the mercy and love of God, which is certainly true. And as the uh, the author, not the author, but the the editor and reviser of this book uh, indicates that in, in the beginning, he says. Father, uh, Father hits heavy on the justice part of God in this little book as a reminder of what we actually deserve. And so this one is a, a good one to kind of realize, oh, like, this is serious business. Um, but then we also have to balance that out with the reality that we know and understand of the mercy of Christ that is given to us. So uh, just a little, little forewarning there. If you start to read that and be like, oh, that's... Sounds kind of harsh. There's a reason. Um, so he's, he's intentionally driving home the point to kind of convict convict hearts um, to be able to turn to the Lord. And this one is a rather a rather new book. Uh, Father Wade Menezes, CPM. You probably see him on EWTN from time to time. He's done some retreats. He'll show up at daily masses. This kind of stuff. Uh, it's M E N E Z E S. And it's just titled simply "The Four Last Things." So this one, this one's good. It's it's much more readable. It's got some good references to the Catechism, good references to the Scriptures. So to give you a good general overview of the four last things, without going too crazy, he said it's not terribly thick. It's a hundred pages. So a good a good manageable book. If you're really just intrigued about hell, <laughs> there's a wonderful little book called "The Dogma of Hell." Uh, by Father F.X., presumably Francis Xavier, um, Schaup, S-C-H-O-W-P-P-E. I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but that's how we're going to pronounce it. Father Schaup, The Dogma of Hell, which goes into lots of the, the details about the truth of hell, the pains of hell, thoughts of hell, etc., uh, etc. Et so also, uh, again, a little small one because you don't want to spend too much time thinking about that one. The one you want to think about is the other stuff. Heaven. A few good works. Uh, Abbot, Abbot uh, Vanier, uh, V-O-N-I-E-R. He's got this classic work, The Life of the World to Come. Uh, this meditations and reflections. He was a Benedictine abbot. Uh, meditations on heavenly life and on, uh, on that which awaits us. So just a, a really beautiful and profound book. Um, He's kind of coming back into, back into the, the mainstream. He was out for a while, but he's becoming popular again. Uh, just a phenomenal writer there. Francois-René Blot, B-L-O-T is the last name. It's French. It's probably not Blot. Um, has this book, In Heaven We'll Meet Again, which I think will probably be one that some of y'all might like to, to read through. Uh, again, it, it gets into that question of, how do we know people in heaven? Like based off of based off of the understanding of the scriptures and, and the tradition of the church, am I going to know my husband or wife in heaven? What's my relationship going to be like with family and friends that I had here? Is it going to be something comparable? Is it going to be something better? You know what what is what does that all look like? How will we know each other? To what degree? To what extent? All these kind of questions. Uh, so uh, a wonderful little book that gets into some of that um, some of those uh, more relational aspects of heavenly life. Uh, is this book here, and heaven will meet again. Reverend George William Rutler has this book called Hints of Heaven. 
on the back, it indicates the reality, uh, again, as we've spoken, that heaven is too much for us to be able to understand. Uh, so the Lord necessarily gave us bite-sized pieces that we could chew on. And those bite-sized pieces often came in his parables. And so this one is uh, a wonderful little work that actually goes through the parables of Jesus and explains them and helps to understand their reflection in light of heaven. Uh, and so if this one's kind of a, is not just a meditation on heaven, it's a meditation on the scriptures as they tell us what heaven is actually like. So uh, Reverend George William Rutler is the author on that one. And then if you want to dive into some of the book of Revelation, uh, which has all kinds of fun things that um, presumably kind of look at the end of the world uh, in various ways. Dr. Michael Barber has a book called Coming Soon, Unlocking the Book of Revelation and Applying Its Lessons for Today. So this one's a good one that's kind of more theological, more, excuse me, more focused on the scriptures themselves and what they say. Uh, in the book of Revelation, what, what Revelation says about the end times and some of the, some of the signs and mysterious descriptions of visions and these kinds of things, um, Dr. Barber's book um, responds to some of those and acknowledging that as well. So that's our resources. That's our talk. Any questions? Yes. What, um... <laughs> yeah. what is There was death, and then I've always heard that, like, once you die, that you'll be before Christ, and you would have a time to repent. Is that true? No. No, at the moment of death, you're decided. The race has been run. So, you live your life. Correct, yeah. So there's no no repenting Mm -hmm. posthumously. Um, Yeah, and so... You know that's the that's really the emphasis. Um, correct. Yeah. So this life, this life, uh, until the soul departs the body is the is the ground wherein we prove our love for the Lord, or lack of love, as the case may be. Uh, so yeah, correct. That, that this, you know, once we once we go out of this world to the next, we're judged off of our merits here and only here. Someone can repent at the last moment of your life. Correct, yeah. I mean, with your last breath. The apostolic blessing that you talked about at the time Mm -hmm. of death. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it up to the priest to do that? Or when you're called to someone's uh, death, you automatically give it to them? Some priests... That is your choice. Some priests... I'm I'm not sure all priests know about it, Mm -hmm. which is crazy to me. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's why I try to tell priests, I'm like, you, you know about the apostolic pardon, right? Like, just in case, you're my guy. Like, help me out, you know? Um, no, it's something that, that's, that the priest should give, um, you know, but it doesn't hurt to. But it's, it's the, the, the decision to give it is up to the priest. Yes. Okay. So, and he should know about it. Yeah, he yeah. should know about it, and he should give it generously. Okay. That's why you don't pick and choose who gets it. No. Yeah. I don't ask people. I, I mean, because again, and that's got to be given yeah. at the moment of death, not before. Well, it, it can. It's it's not like at the last second, you know. 
But, but whenever death is imminent, when we know that death is soon, that's the point where, for myself, always, if I'm there, I'll offer that. You know. That's that's a, a wonderful gift. It is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. I'm on me down a bit. Yes, because it, it only it only is effective at the moment of at the hour of death. Yeah. Yeah. So if if I were to give someone the apostolic pardon and they didn't die, they don't gain the indulgence because it, it wasn't the hour of death. Yeah. So. You know, if they continue to linger, you know, later on we can do it again, and that's that's fine and good. So it's not this thing if you're going into some kind of surgery or something, and somebody comes gives you a blood sample. Not, not usually. If if the surgery, uh, if the surgery was was such that you're probably not coming out, mm-hmm. that's the point where I would go ahead and give it okay. conditionally in that regard. Or if I was the person having the surgery, I would say, make sure the priest is, is you know, right scrubbed up and sitting next to me in the, in the table. Okay. You know. well, let me ask you, but for these people that die in car crashes or mm-hmm. war or whatever, they don't have that opportunity. You know, and uh, I guess, yeah. you know, it's true that a lot of people don't know. I mean, I would have known if you had told me that. Yeah, I thought the last rites was that. I did too. It's part of it. Yeah, it's part of it. Yeah, the last the last sacrament is actually Holy Communion. If you're going to give them the last sacrament, it's not the anointing of the sick. It's Holy Communion. It's called viaticum, which is two Latin words, viatecum, which means with you on the way. So you receive Holy Communion to receive our Lord to strengthen you as you go on the way. So Holy Communion is actually the last sacrament that we should receive. Oftentimes, you can't because the person is, is you know, unconscious, unresponsive, can't swallow, these kinds of things. And at that point, you, they receive the grace. You offer spiritual communion, and they receive the, the grace effectively in the same. So, um, but yeah, so... Do you have to be conscious to receive the apostolic pardon or be able to hear mm-hmm. or participate in any way? No. No, I mean, uh, again, the, the Lord knows the heart. So I can go to a person on their deathbed, and if they're non-responsive, I can say, I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But if they are not repentant, my absolution doesn't work because they're not repentant. And that's not something that I can know or anyone else can know. That's something only the Lord knows. Well, that's the same way if you go to confession. Yeah, yeah, you know, you yeah. If, if any of us, if you, if any of us goes to confession and intentionally withholds something, like I'm going to tell, I'm going to give Father nine out of ten, but that one that's a big one, and I'm ashamed <laughs> to say that, and I'm going to hold that one back. Your confession's invalid. Didn't work because you didn't, you you didn't permit yourself to receive forgiveness. Therefore, sorry, you know. And so that, that's the reality. That, that's why, I mean, again, all of, all of this is why I encourage people as frequently as possible, go to confession. Make a good confession. Don't hold things back. I'd rather you give me too much information than not enough uh, to, be able to, to be able to make sure that grace comes, cleans the slate out as much as possible. So confession is a good and holy thing. I thank God for it frequently. Um, it's me. Is... 
purgatory, a place or a state, and, and like at the end of the world, when Jesus comes again, souls, those who have died, will be in heaven or hell, whatever. So he will come back to earth. Will those souls come back to earth to be resurrected with their body? Yes. Yeah, so purgatory, uh, all of these currently, for the souls that are not blessed mother or Jesus himself, are states of soul. So they're not physical places, necessarily. I mean, purgatory is not a physical place. It's the state of the soul, preparing to enter into heaven, preparing to enter into the presence of God. Correct. Yeah. And so that's why, on the last day, when when the dead are raised, their souls will be their souls will be, you know, in their bodies, resurrected bodies. They'll be judged again. And obviously, heaven has to be a place at that point because you got to have somewhere to put bodies. You know, that's and. How that all happens? That's an issue. Who knows? But, but where will heaven be? Will it be this earth? That's what often is kind of suggested. That's what I, that, no, this, th- that this that this <laughs> place will that this earth will fall away, because again, remember that that the whole cosmos longs for the day of redemption. So whenever Adam and Eve fell, all of the all of creation suffered because of it. And it continues to long and looking for the day where it's perfected again, uh, where there no longer be thorns and thistles um, to be able to wound us. And so creation is looking for the day where it can be recreated. And so that's what we understand is, is that on the last day, the old earth and heaven will pass away and a new earth and heaven will, will come to exist. Earth and heaven being like the earth and the skies type of thing. You know, so basically we'll have a new, a new world that'll be freed from pain, suffering, sickness, death, etc. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. on, on, on the last day, for the final judgment, I'm going to use me as an example. I'm still here. I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. And then it's the last day. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably have some venial sins on my soul. Mm-hmm. But because I've tried to, to live a good life, I'm hoping, you know, <laughs> um, I'm going to heaven. Uh, yes. I mean, that's because it's no more purgatory, so... Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd be going to heaven, but here's... But it's a low, a low level. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> just a thimble. The, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, even a thimble is good, you know? It's good. I'll take, um, I'll take the head of a pin. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So, yeah, the, the reality is, is that the understanding is that when the Lord comes in his glory on the last day, whether for a longer duration or only for a short moment, basically suffering would be intense enough that your purgatory would have been worked off just okay. then. Oh, okay. So that's why we, you know, sometimes about, you know, like the... The tribulation, that's where our Protestant brothers and sisters would kind of get into some of that, like a time of suffering where basically our hearts will have already been chosen one way or the other, perfect or not. So we have that chance. Yeah. 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 So. You die before that, you die before the last day, and you haven't repented. Purgatory, where we, I mean, people that are in purgatory are saved. They know they're yes. going to go to heaven yeah. eventually. But they, that's the uh, purification uh, period where mm-hmm. they, uh, you, you have to 
erase the scars of sin on your soul? Um, essentially, yeah, in, in, in some regard, yeah, to to be able to to be freed from from attachments that were before the Lord, you know, attachments okay. that were stronger, you know, or, or any attachment to uh, to another person or to to things or to sinful inclinations, any of that kind of stuff needs to be resolved. If there's any any reparation, any repairs that need to be made on account of our sins. Um, so if our, if our sin, you know, the kind of the classic example is, is you're playing ball, you break a window, you say, I'm sorry, you've received forgiveness for breaking the window. That's confession. And then you've got to still fix the window. So that's the reparation. That's what purgatory kind of does is it, it heals what's been, what's been wounded by sin. And so it, it takes care of that as well. Um, so those would be things. There's, um, yeah, so that's what purgatory is. It's a time where it's, it's sorrowful and it's suffering because you're having to, to fix your wounds, to, to, to detach, um, you know, which are, are kind of painful things. Um, you know, so it necessarily is a painful experience, but it's a pain also filled with joy because you know you're going to get in, that, that you're, you're on the way. It's guaranteed. But another book I read said that once you're in purgatory, you can't help yourself. It's Correct. only people from outside. Yeah. We, we, and that's why we pray for the souls in purgatory. Okay. Yeah, so that's why we offer funeral mass. That's why we keep praying our rosaries, have masses offered, you know, in the church. So we, that we do the, the November 1st through 8th indulgences of visiting cemeteries, um, all these kinds of things, um, you know, in, in a whole variety of ways, just offering prayers to the faithful departed because they can't pray for themselves. Susan Thomas has a bunch of books on purgatory that they do. Susan Thomas has a bunch of books on purgatory that's very good. I'll have to check those out. I don't have any. Can they pray for us? I don't believe so. So they're basically there, kind of focusing on, on their own souls, their own hearts. So the saints in heaven pray for us. We pray for the souls in purgatory. And they just kind of, they're working it, working it out, getting closer to heaven. And he said last night you could be in purgatory for a thousand years. Yeah. Well, it could be a while. Yeah, it depends on your soul. Yeah. It could be even a longer year than the years we have here. Yeah. It could be a lot of years. Yeah, we've long yeah. forgotten yeah. after that. Yeah, I'm just going to stay here in the Lord. Yeah, so some of the, some of the saints who have had visions of, of purgatory and heaven and hell are fascinating and somewhat scary reads sometimes, but also with, in heaven, glorious reads. Um, so, you know, but don't place your trust on all that stuff. Place your tr- trust in what the scriptures say and, and, um, what the church has has taught from our understanding from from the apostles, the apostles down. So that's where. So you want to spend the night here? We go. <laughs> I will if needed. <laughs> I'm always okay with that. In the Old Testament, when Moses and Abraham they died before Christ came, mm-hmm. rose, and saved everyone. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't go to heaven yet. Correct. So they were. It was it was what the Jews refer to as the the bosom of Abraham. Uh, the bosom of Abraham was bas- is basically like an understanding of of a place that's not heaven yet because Christ hasn't gone to open the gates. Christ hasn't reigned victorious yet by his death and resurrection. Um, 
but it's, it's the, the bosom of Abraham was basically a place, it was kind of like the waiting room, that your purgatory time was done, you were just waiting, waiting for the gates. Oh. So there was, it was a place, a place of peace and of rest. It wasn't a place of suffering necessarily, because your, your suffering had already been kind of worked off. But it was a place of rest and, and waiting. So when we say the creed and we mm-hmm. say that he descended to hell, is, mm-hmm. is that hell or some churches say descended to the dead? Mm-hmm. Is, is that when he's going to get them? Yeah. I, I, no? I would think that it would be actually both. Um, there's a beautiful reflection on Holy Saturday morning in the Office of Readings. Um, it's an anonymous homily from the early church. And it's, it's Jesus speaking to Adam. Saying like, I've, I've come to get you. It's time. Let's go. You know? And so it's, it's an absolutely phenomenal kind of little two-page, two-page meditation on something like Jesus going to the boat of the dead, to the bosom of Abraham, to be able to, to bring Adam and all of his descendants who are faithful to say, it's almost time. You know, get ready, we're going. <laughs> we're going. Um, but also to go to hell so that the souls who, prior to the life of Christ, were not judged at their death in the same manner, um, that they can see him and understand who it is that they rejected. And then go from there. There's a book, I forget who it's by, because um, the, Eastern, the Eastern churches, Byzantine churches, have a much stronger theology of Christ's descent into hell. Um, it's kind of more robust and more written about. And there's a book called Christ Destroyer of Hell, if I remember right, where it's kind of like that meditation of Christ descending Descending to hell. So, yeah. Is that basically saying that now it's still in purgatory? Not in purgatory, but but presumably in the in the bosom of Abraham, the the place waiting. It's nothing in comparison to eternity. I mean, from the beginning of the world to thousands of years. I'm confused. Would Abraham and Moses and all those people from the Old Testament believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity? And that he's God? Once the Protestant <coughs> Jews don't aren't they still waiting for God to send Well yeah, because they haven't they haven't acknowledged the Savior. The Christians are the one, are the Jews who did. Yeah. So that's that's part of the that's where we get into all kinds of fun questions about the salvation of the Jews and the reconstitution of Israel and there's all kind of fun stuff there. But yeah, I mean the the reality is you basically as the church has always understood you can't be condemned for something you didn't that was that happened later than you. So like there are church fathers whose writings are heretical but the church had not made any any pronouncements on anything yet so it was still prior to anything being set in stone so it was still being debated so we don't condemn them 
they're saints because <laughs> you can't you can't condemn them based off of something that happened 150 years later mm-hmm. from their own life. And kind of a similar way um, is the understanding of salvation for those in the Old Testament times. Mm-hmm. You know that they can't be they can't be condemned for not professing faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ didn't exist yet. They, they believed in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They under, they they consented to the to the extent of the revelation that was given them. Mm-hmm. They consented. The term we hear in Scripture, the New Jerusalem, on the last day, will, will Jesus' coming have anything to do with the geographical site of Jerusalem? Probably not, because it'll be everywhere. And, I mean, I'd, that's my anticipation. The New Jerusalem is heaven. Yeah. Yeah, so the dwelling place of God. Very good. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you again for coming. Sorry we ran a little bit long, but I hope it was hopefully it was worth it. So we'll close with a, a short prayer. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.